right. Well, again, good morning, church family. Uh, so great to be with you to worship the Lord again together. Uh, for those of you who are new, I want to say welcome to you. Uh, we're certainly glad that you're here with us uh, today. Uh, for those of you who weren't with us last week, uh, last Sunday was our first official uh, gathering as a new church, uh, where SIBC and Way Church came together uh, as one. And as I already said, there were a few different things, uh, updates shared during that service. Uh, but one of the big announcements uh, was our church's name change. Some of you came, pull up this morning, you're like, what? What's that sign? And I'm, uh, we're looking at the Wi-Fi. Um, it's all different, but... Uh, moving forward, uh, we've decided, uh, and those guys were all part of this decision, uh, we've decided uh, to be Freedom Village Church uh, moving forward. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Hebangchan, Hebangchan, uh, where we are right now, some of you are like, I was, I'm in Hebangchan, you are in Hebangchan, uh, it literally translates to Freedom Village. Uh, Hebangchan means Freedom Village. And so we believe that for this gathering, uh, Freedom Village is a really uh, fitting name, certainly for where we're located. Uh, again, we're in Freedom Village, uh, but also uh, for the message that's beyond the name. Okay? That this gathering's mission is going to be uh, to be a place where the freedom that comes from the gospel is declared. That's what we want to do, and that's who we want to be. And that's really going to be what we're talking about today in our teaching uh, because the message, that message, freedom comes from the gospel, uh, that mission certainly is not ours alone, okay? Uh, that mission statement is not unique uh, to us. That actually when, when Jesus came to the earth and began his ministry, uh, he came with that very same message. And that's ultimately what, what matters, right? Um, as the church... Uh, we want Jesus' message uh, to be our message. Right? We want Jesus' mission to be our mission. We want Jesus' purpose for us to be our purpose. Right? I think that's so foundational for a church, right? especially for a new gathering. And so that's where we're going to be working through uh, today. We're going to look at what was Jesus' mission, right? what's at the heart of his mission, so that it can become our mission as well. And so if you have a Bible with you today, I hope you do, turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Uh, as we open up Luke 4, we know that Jesus' ministry has already begun. Right? Prior to this, we know uh, John's gospel actually tells us that he was at a wedding in Cana, turning water into wine, right, before this. He also uh, had spent some time previous to this ministering in a town called Capernaum, and as well as in Judea and in Jerusalem, okay? Again, you can read about that in the first three or so chapters of John's gospel. Uh, but here in Luke, we see the beginning of Jesus' Galilean ministry, right? He's in Galilee, uh, where he's going to spend... Of the next year and a half, right? The Galilean ministry, it's recorded in Luke's gospel. It takes place between Luke chapter 4 and about the end of Luke chapter 9, okay? And he starts the Galilean ministry in his hometown, in Nazareth. And we see that here in verse 16. Look at it with me. It says this. 
he, being Jesus, he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So again, uh, Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth. And as he had grown up doing, he is attending synagogue on the Sabbath day. So that fact right there where we start, it's not unusual, right? Good Jewish people went to synagogue. Okay, they gathered regularly uh, together in these places to hear the word of God and to listen to it be expounded or to be explained. Uh, it's interesting, uh, this past week, just this very sentence alone, I spent way too much time probably researching it because um, it made me really interested to look at first century rabbinical teaching, all right? And so that's how I spend my time. Some of you are like, first century rabbinical teaching. That's fun for me. Um, some of you are like, what? But uh, I did some research on first century rabbinical teaching, and I actually read some of the sermons from the first century from these rabbis or, you know, uh, or these things that were taught, these messages that were taught in the synagogues. And, and I don't think that should, this should surprise us at all, uh, but the most common subject okay, or, or topic if they're going to do a sermon series, the most popular series that they would teach upon was the hope of the Messiah's coming. You see it weaved in the majority of their teaching and their messages, the hope of the Messiah's coming. Whether the Old Testament prophets were read or the Mosaic law was opened or the passage of that day, the central teaching of the synagogue was that there was going to be an ultimate sacrifice. That there was coming, or going to be a Savior who would come to deliver God's people. That there was coming a Messiah who would establish an everlasting kingdom. Right? Every faithful Jew uh, knew this. They were taught this. And they anticipated that coming day. Right? They were eagerly waiting for the Messiah to be with them. But this Sabbath day here in Luke chapter 4, this day of worship is going to be a little bit different. The teaching is going to be a little bit different. Because for what appears to be the very first time, it's Jesus' turn to stand up, to read the scriptures, and to explain the scriptures. In other words, um, it's Jesus' time or turn to be the preacher and to give the sermon. For that day. And look what happens. We see it in verse 17. This is what happens. It says, The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. We'll pause there. So you can kind of imagine the scene. Jesus stands up, he gets up on the stage or whatever, if you will. He's handed the scroll of Isaiah. It's apparently unopened. And why Isaiah? Well, um, actually, we don't know. We're not sure. Um, maybe it like, just so happened to fit in their calendar readings. right? We know this historically, that um, in the synagogue, they would just go verse by verse through the text. And so maybe it was this, this uh, scheduled reading of that day. Or maybe Jesus had specifically asked for it. We can't be sure. But what we do know is the text is Isaiah 61, starting in verse 1. And so Jesus reads the text. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, 
to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then what happens? Look at verse 20. He reads Isaiah 61 through, through uh, verse 1 through 2, or at least a portion of it. And then what happens? It says that he then rolled the scroll back up, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. Now, (laughs) I don't think there's any doubt, right, that Jesus gave an entire sermon from this text. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I believe he read this passage, and then he fully explained it. He, He expounded on it. But what Luke is doing here uh, is just summarizing this event, right? And just with these words that we have here alone, we see not only who Jesus is, but also what his mission was. Notice again in verse 21, he says, Today, as you listen, the scripture, this scripture has been fulfilled. In other words, Jesus says, what I just read to you, That's talking about me. He says, I've just told you who I am. I've just told you what I'm here to do. And I've also told you the message that I'm here to proclaim. That what you've been teaching on, what you've been waiting for all of this time, what you've been anticipating, it's here, it's now, it's me. The Messiah is here salvation has arrived. I'm the fulfillment, he says, of these prophecies. You see, again, um, every Jewish person knew that Isaiah 61 was the coming Messiah. It's in reference of the coming Messiah. That when he came, they knew the Spirit of the Lord would be upon him and that he would be anointed, just as it says back in verse 18. Right? These are designations, if you will, of the coming Savior. And this exactly describes Jesus. Actually, I don't think it's a coincidence. Back in chapter 3 of Luke, verse 21, Luke makes a very clear point that during Jesus' baptism, while he was praying, Jesus praying, what happens? Heaven opens up, and what takes place next? The Spirit descends upon him. And after that, We read in the beginning of chapter 4, you can see back up in verse 1, it says that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. It says a little bit later, he was led by the Spirit. And then in verse 14, it says that he came into Galilee, or into Nazareth, for this purpose, in the power of the Spirit. Luke wants us to know the Spirit of God was on Jesus. For what purpose? Well, to enable him to do his ministry. So Jesus says, I'm the the Messiah, I'm the anointed one, I'm the one that the Holy Spirit has come upon for the sake of fulfilling my purpose and for fulfilling my calling. And then Jesus goes on to define his ministry. He says, as the Messiah, then, here is what I've come to do. That's in essence what he's saying here in our passage today. And that's going to be our focus for the rest of our time together. Again, this is sort of Jesus' mission statement, and it comes to us in four parts. Four parts. So we're going to work through each of them 
together. First of all, Jesus says he has come, number one, to preach the gospel to the poor. Part one of Jesus' mission statement. He says, I've come to preach the gospel to the poor. Again, that's verse 18. It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. Why? To preach good news to the poor. Jesus says, I've come to proclaim or declare good news. Good news. That's the gospel. It's the message of hope-filled salvation. It's the, it's the victory report of the Lord Jesus, the King of Kings. He says, the Messiah will be empowered by the Holy Spirit to preach good news, the gospel, to the poor. And let's be clear, right from the beginning here, this point. The good news is not that poor people are going to get rich. And that's not what Jesus is saying. Some of you are, oh man. Uh, right? This is not speaking about uh, economic prosperity. Right? It's not material enhancement that Jesus is referring to here. We're talking about spiritual riches. It's the good news that you can be released from your spiritual bankruptcy. Okay, I'll say that again. It, the gospel is the good news that you can be released from your spiritual bankruptcy. I think it really helps us to grasp this uh, when we understand the word poor here. Okay, the word poor, it's a, it's a really deep and meaningful word. It, it literally means to, to cringe in Greek. It, it means to cower or, or to shrink back. Um, the, it's the image, a person in this time would have the image of this beggar who is, is cringing in the shadows. It's a person uh, who is, is totally desperate. They're at the end of themselves. Um, you can sort of imagine they have one hand out uh, begging and the other hand is hiding their face in, in shame. It, it's total desperation. It's a person who's reached complete hopelessness. The point is, this is beyond just poor and a person who has very little. It's beyond that. This is a person who is begging for crumbs. They have absolutely nothing. That's the word that Jesus uses here. Jesus says, I have come to bring the gospel, the message of good news, to those types of people. He's talking about people who recognize that they can do nothing and have nothing to save themselves. And this is our human condition, right? Every single one of us is morally bankrupt, incapable of doing anything to get to God. We are desperate, poor. And of course, that went directly against the Jewish mindset of that day. Right? They thought, they believed, they were being taught that their good works, their righteous deeds, that by keeping the ceremonial law, that by holding to or obeying this mosaic system, that they would earn their salvation, that they could obtain salvation for themselves. And now Jesus comes here and just shatters that way of thinking. He says, the good news the Messiah brings is for those who recognize they are spiritually poor. He said in another place, blessed are you who are, what, poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of God. A good example of this 
I think, is later in Luke's gospel. It's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. You can find it in Luke chapter 18. And what happens there, it says, and we'll just focus on the tax collector, it says that this tax collector who is seen as an outcast in society, like the worst of sinners, right? There's sinners and then there's tax collectors. That's how they were seen in that day. This, this tax collector, he's so broken, he's so convicted that the text says that he was repeatedly beating on his chest, crying out to God, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, right? He's actually on his face, the text says, and he won't even look up because of his shame. The point is, or the point was there, he was totally desperate, hopeless. He had reached the point in his life where all he could do was cry out to God, to beg God for mercy. And that's exactly who, again, Jesus came to save. Jesus came for lost and hopeless sinners. He came with good news for those who understand that reality. Part of Jesus' mission was to preach the gospel to the poor. Number two, see this next part of Jesus' mission statement here in Luke 4. Jesus came to declare forgiveness to prisoners. Jesus came to declare forgiveness to prisoners. Again, we see this in verse 18. He says, He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives. Jesus says, God has sent me. That's what he's saying. The Father has sent me to free captives, to free prisoners. And this is just another term, actually, for a sinner, a captive. Okay? He's repeating the point. Uh, There's sinner, I've come to be with sinners, give the gospel to sinners, I've come to forgive sinners. That's what he's really saying. This is someone who is, again, separated from God. They're prisoners. So not only is he coming for spiritually bankrupt people, people who have nothing to offer God, what we see now is he's coming to, to prisoners. It's another metaphor, again, to describe a person who doesn't have a relationship with Christ. And so the Messiah has come to proclaim liberty, freedom, or another word that's, I think, well translated there for freedom is release, right? To release prisoners. That's what he's saying here. And actually the word uh, freedom, even, even better than release maybe, it has a connotation to it of forgiveness, forgiveness. And if you think about that, it really makes a lot of, a lot of sense. The reason that a person is put in prison uh, is because someone else has put them there, right? Um, They've been put there as a punishment for a crime that they have done. And again, maybe, I hope I don't have to point this out, but I will say it because I never want to assume that we aren't talking about actual prisoners here, right? Uh, Just as we weren't talking about economically poor people in the point before, right? He's talking about spiritual prisoners, Right? It's people, in other words, who are in spiritual bondage, you might say. So people who are spiritually bankrupt in the first point. Now we have people who are spiritual, in spiritual bondage uh, here. Right? Bondage to their guilt, bondage to their sin, and bondage to the debt that comes from their sin. Right? That's what it means to be a captive to your sin. It's, it's, it's being 
It's like, in a sense, it's like saying uh, to being held in prison for a crime and then waiting for execution. That's what it means to be a prisoner. We are guilty before a holy God. We are imprisoned in our sin, and we're just waiting for his judgment. We're just waiting for our execution. That's how God sees the sinner, right? It's a really happy picture, right? You know, what's ironic to me, if you even have that picture in your mind, though, is that people who don't follow Christ, right, they typically think it's the opposite, don't they? They typically see themselves as being free, that they get to do whatever they want. They get to think however they want. They get to be whoever they want to be. But the Bible clearly says they are not free. Uh, there's irony in that. And, and I think that so much speaks to like where we are now. Like we're in Hebongchan. This is, think of it, this is Freedom Village, right? Uh, and it has come to have a reputation uh, as being a place that is free, right? Free to be yourself, to be who you want to be, right? You can come here and fully express yourself. It's up to you. How do you want to be? You can live free. But the scriptures are very clear. Uh, they're not free. They're the opposite of free. Uh, they're actually prisoners. But for those who don't follow Christ, who don't put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they're prisoners, actually. That sin has put you in debt to God, and you cannot pay that debt. Right? You are in bondage and are now waiting for the punishment of death, waiting for the judgment of God, who we all will stand before one day. Right? But while that was the case, that's sort of a dark picture, a real picture, um, when that was all of our realities, right? spiritually imprisoned in bondage, the Messiah came. That's what Jesus is saying. I came for this reason. Actually, Isaiah chapter 42, I love what it says in verse 5 through 7. It speaks to this as well. It says, Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit to those who walk in it. He says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people. He's going to speak to the Messiah now. A light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind. And then look at to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. That's what God says. He says, I'm sending my son, I'm sending the anointed one, the Messiah, to free prisoners from the dungeon. I'm sending him to release captives, to set them free. I'm sending the Messiah to forgive you from the bondage you're in. And this is the only way that we can be made free. Jesus had to take our debt. He had to take our guilt. He had to take our shame. He had to take our sin. He had to take our bondage on himself. This was his, miss it, uh, his mission. And this is exactly what he did. He came to bring freedom to captives by forgiving their sin. And that's exactly what he did. Third, we see Jesus he came to give sight to the blind. He came to give sight to the blind. It's another part of Jesus' mission, why he came, his purpose. He came to give sight to the blind. Again, we're still in verse 18. It says, He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives 
and recovery of sight, there it is, recovery of sight to the blind. So again, we see a, a third metaphor here. He's already said that sinners are poor. He's just said that sinners are captives or they're prisoners. And now he says sinners are blind, right? Again, uh, he's not referring to the physically blind. I want to point that out. Although, however, I think it is worth noting that Jesus did heal the blind. He's going to do that uh, really soon after this here in Luke 4, our passage today. Right? We know that Jesus was always meeting physical needs to ultimately get to people's spiritual problem. Right? That's what he did. Right? He, and he, he's an example of this here. He's talking about spiritually blind people, but that doesn't mean he wasn't concerned with physical blindness. Right? Um, we can fall in that same category a lot. Right? We can see a lot of people who are broken and, and needy, and oftentimes our response as Christians is to step away from them, actually, and respond like, well, we're praying for you, right? Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. Certainly we want to be praying for people, but that's not what Jesus did, right? He met people's physical needs and prayed for them, right? He met the physical and the spiritual. We have that responsibility. We have that mission as well, right? So he's come for the spiritually blind, but that doesn't mean he didn't heal people of their physical blindness, if you're following with me, Okay? He's talking about, though, even more specifically, the scriptures refer to this as spiritual darkness, right? It's referred to as blindness a lot of times, or commonly called spiritual darkness. He's come for people who are in darkness. Back in Luke chapter 1, John the Baptist's father, uh, Zechariah, he prophesied about the coming Messiah. And look at what he says. He predicts who this person who is coming is going to be. He says, because of God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. He says, because of God's mercy, because of God's love, his grace, his compassion, he is sending a Messiah who will shine on those who live in darkness. In other words, he's come and he's coming to open the eyes of the spiritually blind. You see, without Christ, not only are we poor, bankrupt, incapable of doing anything, empty-handed, not only are we guilty in our sin, not only are we in debt, spiritual bondage, waiting for the penalty of our sin, but we're also blind in that we have no ability to see or understand the truth. That's what it means to be spiritually blind. He's talking about every single one of us, really, that before Jesus, or without the gospel, all of us are spiritually blind. We are blinded. We have no ability to see or understand the truth. We see that, actually, in Psalm 82, verse 5. He says, speaking to these people, he says, "...they have neither knowledge nor understanding." They walk about in darkness. They walk in blindness, like aimlessly. Right? And understand the nature of this blindness. Right? Certainly by virtue of just being a fallen sinner, we are blind. The scriptures are clear about that. But in addition to that, notice as well that we see that man is further blinded by Satan. Sort of like a double whammy, if you will. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says this, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, 
in their, in their case, the God of this world, that's our enemy, that's Satan, what has he done? He has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Right? And so understand we're talking about being spiritually blind here. We're talking about a very deep and a very comprehensive blindness. Right? This is being in total darkness, like pitch black. Um, it's like saying we are blind blind without Christ. Right? Some of you, if you've ever been in like a cavern before, uh, if you've ever visited a cavern, and you go in the like really down deep, into it, and then there's always a part of the tour where the guide's like, hey, nobody bring out your cell phone or your flashlight or whatever like that, and I'm going to turn it off. You're going to see how dark it is down here, right? And then all the lights go off, and you're in, like, the depths, and you put your hand in front of your face, and you can't see it even if it's this close, right? You have to, like, hit yourself to make sure that you're really there, right? It's kind of kind of spooky, right? That's what he's talking about here. There's actually no light, not a glimmer of light. It's, it's blind, blind, dark, dark. No ability to see the truth. And so with that reality, again, what does the Messiah come to do? Well, he tells the people who would listen in Nazareth, he says, I've come to give sight to the blind. That's why I'm here. Right? That was Isaiah 42 as well. We just read this before. Before he talks about them being released from the prison in the dungeon, he says right before that, I will give you what? A light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind. Right? Jesus himself speaks to this as well. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will what? Not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Messiah has come to those who are spiritually bankrupt and know it. He has come to those that are being held captive and know it. And to those who are walking in darkness, those who are blind. And then finally, we see this last part of Jesus' mission statement. Number four, Jesus came, number four, to set free the oppressed. To set free the oppressed. Again, he says, He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. And then we have our last point, to set free the oppressed. It's right there. We see again the, the word free is used here. It's a repeated word. The same word that was used just up above. But here it's used in a slightly different way. Jesus says, I've come to free those who are oppressed. So as before, what Jesus was talking about, he was talking about, again, setting free those who are in prison or in chains or in bondage. Here he's talking about a person who is overwhelmed by the pain of life. That's what he's talking about. Um, It's a person who's overwhelmed by whatever kind of troubles that life can bring. And certainly we all know that life can be full of troubles. That list is endless, right? And so he's talking about people who are just simply burdened by this world. Another way to say it, they are distressed or they are weighed down They have lost all sense of hope and purpose and joy. Jesus says, I've come to those people. He says, I'm here to deliver you from your oppression. I'm here to loosen your burdens. I'm here to be your answer for an overwhelmed life and your lack of joy. And that's exactly what he tells 
those who are following him in Matthew's gospel as well. He says this in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all who labor, similar word there, and are heavy laden. That means oppressed. If you're heavy laden, if you're laboring, if you're oppressed, he says, come to me and what? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is also what Jesus came to do, he says. He came, and his mission was to come to those who were overwhelmed by the troubles of life. To those who were weighed down by their oppression. And again, we have to keep in mind the context of this passage as well. Right? He's speaking to people, his direct audience are people who are weighed down by the law. Right? These faithful Jewish people, they desperately want to follow the law. They want to follow God. And so they're following the law in desperation. They're following this law that the Pharisees had bound them to. Right? To the point where in Matthew chapter 23, it says that the law was actually crushing people, right? That, that the weight of their sin, but in addition to that, trying to always do the right thing, trying to always follow the law, it was just too much for them to handle. It was crushing them. And so the Messiah comes, Jesus comes and says, I'm here to take your burdens. I'm setting you free. All of you who are oppressed, all of you who are weighed down. I've come to set you free. Take my yoke upon you. My burden is light. Jesus came, again, to those who are spiritually bankrupt, to those who are trapped in sin, to those who are blind, blinded to the truth, to those who are burdened with the weight of this life and all that it brings, right? To them, to those people, Jesus came. That was his mission, to share the good news of the gospel that makes us spiritually rich, to teach the gospel that brings forgiveness from sin, from, uh, release from Satan, freedom from death. He came, he shared the gospel to recover sight to the blind so that we could see, we could know the truth and the life. And he came to deliver us from all of these issues that we face in our lives that have a tendency to weight us down from our guilt, our shame, and pain. Jesus came, he says, to give us joy, to give us peace, and to give us rest for our souls. That was his mission. And that's exactly why in verse 19, he says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's why I've come, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What he was saying there is this. This is the time of salvation. That's what he's saying. The time is now. I'm here. And of course, we know that that time, it's still now. It's still today. For all true believers, it continues to be the favorable year of the Lord. We are still living in this reality today. And that's actually, it's interesting, that's where Jesus stopped his message. Right? He, he spoke these powerful words. He stopped there, rolled up the scroll. 
he sat down and he said, this is about me. But you know, it's really interesting that he stops there. Because if you know Isaiah 61, that's not where the verse stops. He doesn't finish reading Isaiah 61, verse 2. He doesn't finish the verse, which says this. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, there's a comma there. Jesus puts a period on it. But what does Isaiah say? And the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus doesn't say that. Vengeance is coming. Judgment is coming. That time of judgment, of vengeance, it's still in our future. We're waiting for that day of Christ. But Jesus wanted to make the point very clearly that now is not that time. Now is the time of salvation. This is the time for declaring the good news that you can be set free to the poor, to the prisoner, to the blind, to the oppressed. The clear message is that the Messiah has come. Jesus has come. So, for, so receive his forgiveness. Receive his salvation. And as a new gathering... This is exactly what our message not only should be, but needs to be. Right? It should be our mission because it was Jesus' mission. Right? My prayer, I was thinking again this week, I've known that this was going to be our passage for like a month today. And since that time, it's been my prayer for this gathering, like Freedom Village, that we would be a place where people know, truly know, the good news of the gospel. But also but also that it would be a place where people share this good news with people who do, don't not yet know the good news. Right? We know Jesus' mission. It's clear. So let's make sure that as his followers, that we are actually on mission with Jesus. Right? Freedom is found in Jesus Christ. That's our message. Freedom is found in the Messiah. Freedom is found in our Lord. Freedom is found in the King of Kings. Let's declare the good news of the gospel to people, because that's exactly what Jesus did as well. Let's pray.